And I like closing deals. I get a little like high from that. Right. But it's nothing like, you know, going and helping a leukemia patient or going and feeding the homeless or helping underprivileged kids or doing any of that stuff. Welcome to Conversations with Connors. I'm your host, Adam Connors. A slight deviation from my other podcasts, but well worth it, is my conversation with Mike Dash, CEO of Parallel HR Solutions. Mike's an affable guy that's a lot of fun to be around, and his high energy is contagious. Him and I go back two decades, know a lot of the same people, and share a bunch of similar philosophies on life. Although we do talk about relationships and community building, our conversation doesn't center around networking as they typically do with most of my guests. However, you should know that as a rule of thumb, most of the people in his field of recruiting do make a living through their relationships and networking. Today, we get a chance to learn more about the personal side of Mike, hear about some of his wild adventures, his experience climbing Kilimanjaro, his battle with addiction, as well as some of his philanthropic activities, which really seem to be driving his ship these days. This is a discussion with no shortage of interesting stories or experiences. So put your headphones on, clear away any distractions, and enjoy my conversation with Mike Dash. With me today, Mike Dash. Mike, where do I begin on describing you? I'll let you kind of take the floor for a quick second, and then I'm going to interject. Yeah, it's great seeing you again, buddy. I mean, it's been, what, five years? Maybe even longer, man. Yeah. And you know we go back 20. Yeah, we go back 20. You know, ever since I moved out to Utah about 10 years ago, uh, you know, I don't get back as often. So it's great to see you. Great to have a little lunch at your favorite spot. Uh, and, you Tent know, and Willow comes through Tent every and Willow time. And, and reminisce. So, you know, I appreciate you having me on. Talk about uh, entrepreneurship and addiction and relationships and overcoming challenges, mindset, flow, living in flow. You what know, about I, your book? I've uh, talked about all that in my book and I've lived through it all. And my book's called Chasing the High, and it'll be coming out towards the end of the summer. So I certainly look forward to that as well and sharing some stories. Awesome. So for those who don't know you that are listening to this show, give a, a, as quick of a synopsis, I guess, as you possibly can high level. And we'll, we'll dig into the details as we comb through the conversation. Sure. Uh, I grew up in Bergen County, New Jersey. My father was an entrepreneur. I, mean, I learned at an early age what it was to, to kind of bust your ass and work hard. Uh, you know, my dad had me in the shop at 10 years old. He had an import-export and a retail store uh, selling fine china and uh, collectibles. I quickly uh, learned early on that I did not want to go into that business when uh, I became uh, older, even though he wanted me to. You know, w- went to college, University of Maryland, and then kind of branched off on my own. Got a job in New York doing sports advertising for four years. And then uh, my best friend who I grew up with, uh, he was in the staffing business and he said to me, uh, you know, I think you'd be awesome at staffing. You should come join me. We'll blow this up. I said, yeah, staffing sounds great. Let me go work for a company for a year, learn on their dime. So I'm not nagging you all year and then I'll come join you. And that's exactly what I did. I worked with him for four years and uh, I was actually calling on E-Trade Financial 
uh, in New York City. They said, we don't have any business for you here. But if you happen to know somebody in Sandy, Utah, we have 200 financial service reps we're trying to hire in the next three and a half weeks. And that call led to what eventually was me moving to Utah, opening up a staffing company in Utah with my ex-business partner, who I had previously worked with for one year in New York. We ended up bidding on that project. We won that project. We filled all 200 positions. We got projects in Alpharetta, Georgia, Jersey City, Tampa, Florida. We filled 800 positions in one year. And that was the point I said, you know what? I don't need to work for somebody anymore. You know, I want to do this on my own. So I took the leap of faith and went to Utah. That's right, Jersey boy, <laughs> over, <laughs> over to Utah, knowing only her. And we opened up Parallel HR Solutions, which is uh, you know the current company I'm CEO and president of. At the moment, we're sitting down here, but probably not at the moment when this airs. Gotcha. <laughs> so running a business, really easy, right? Oh, so easy. So easy. <laughs> I mean, it's been a journey for sure with a lot of ups and downs, a lot of misery, sleepless nights, and a lot of successes. You know, I like to say I'm an expert in how not to do shit. And I apologize right now for a couple of curse words, but nah. I'm from Burton County, man. I mean, I, I, you get me back in Jersey and I leave Utah. I mean, it starts flowing again. Like I never left. But they don't swear in Utah? Not at our level. No. Okay. <laughs> so, so you've been an entrepreneur. You're, you travel a tremendous amount too. And I, I want to get into that. You recently just got back from a, a, a little hike too. Yeah. I just climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in January, 19,000 feet. Uh, I did it with Leukemia Lymphoma Society, been very involved with them over the past 10 years. I ran four marathons raising money for them. I was nominated for their Man of the Year, Woman of the Year fundraising competition in late 2016. It was a 10-week fundraising competition that I was able to put a team together and raise $75,000 for them that year. And then this opportunity came, which was called Climb for a Cure, and I just saw Kilimanjaro, and I said yes. I didn't even know what it entailed, what it was about. It was just the way I've transformed my thought process and how I make decisions in my life where I follow my highest intuition now as much as I possibly can is exactly what I did when this opportunity crossed my desk. And I just said, yeah, I'll do it. So I raised uh, another 5000 for them. But in addition to that, got an amazing experience in, you know, travel to Tanzania. And it was an eight day journey where we climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. There was about 13 of us all raising money for LLS. And we connected with a group called Embark. They have a relationship with LLS and they take you on these adventures. Had you known any of these people before or these are just uh, happenstance people that you're just all meeting surrounding this one charity? I knew one of them. So all the others I met for the first time. So there were five people out of Utah. There were like three people from Jersey, somebody from California, just Florida, Maryland, random, random places. Everyone make it? There's peak and then there's summit. So everyone made it to the peak. And then there's probably another half an hour to get to the summit. Not everybody made it to the summit basically because of time limit or people were getting altitude sickness. Mm. So a couple of people were throwing up and things like that. They probably didn't take the medication properly. I took the altitude medication, which was extremely odd because it would make your fingers like completely numb. I've heard that. Really, really weird feeling. 
but it worked because I didn't get sick at all. How do people climb the summit without taking these pills? I think everybody took them, but I don't think they took, like you're supposed to take them two days before you start summiting. Gotcha. And I think they didn't take them in a timely manner or whatnot. But yeah, I mean, others like the porters and the guides, I mean, they don't take them because they're acclimated to it all. Yeah. Right. Some of these guys have summited 300 times. It's because it's a major source of income for them, but it takes a complete beating on their body and they sacrifice a lot because they're away from their families a tremendous amount of time. So I have a lot, I gained just this level of respect and admiration for the people in Africa that, you know, I never had before because I just wasn't exposed to it. And we're actually helping one of the guides get a tourist visa because his dream is to come to the U.S. And, uh, you know, I'm actually helping submit the application for him to bring him over here for three months so he can experience the U.S. That's awesome. I'm sure you had a ton of takeaways, but if there was one takeaway in particular that you had to hang your hat on during that experience, what was it? Tolerance. Hmm. Learning how to tolerate 12 strangers that you haven't been around before for, for eight days straight when you're hiking in very close proximity and they're what you could perceive as they're complaining or they're moaning or (laughs) how slow they might be or how fast they might be or how annoying they might be or whatever it is. And, you know, I did a documentary on this actually. I videoed all eight days. I put it together and I just got the video back and I'll post that in your notes or something and people can watch it. It's an hour. And it's my perspective on it. And I interview the other climbers and they talk about why they did this and who they did it in honor of. And I'm kind of proud of it because it, you know, it took a lot of work just to like video all of this stuff. Do you, but do you GoPro it or what? what I, you, I, these are just at stops. You just then do these video footage through your phone. Like how so I you? used three devices, which made it complicated to put together. <laughs> I had this camera that I bought, this Canon E60, which is awesome. And then I had a GoPro and then I had my iPhone. Because in certain areas, it was hard to get charging, mm-hmm. uh, to get your phone or your camera charged. Yeah. But <laughs> but that. I actually did a bunch of Facebook Lives there as well. And surprisingly, I got service in some of these rest stops. And I would do Facebook Lives. And I was like, man, I'm getting better service here than Verizon's giving me in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember seeing flipping through and seeing something like, did he just say he's in wherever you were? Mount Kilimanjaro, yeah, yeah. Tanzania, yeah. yeah. What, was the mountain clean? The mountain was, yeah, the mountain was clean. We were very lucky with the weather, although we did encompass every possible weather condition in eight days, as well as every emotional feeling that a human can go through in eight days. That's another big takeaway from being really high to being not high, high, but being really high on top of the earth to being really low and demoralized to being so sore to feeling great, to feeling fed, to feeling hungry, to like being angry, to being like it was crazy the level of emotions that you go through. And that's why, like, you know, when you asked about a takeaway, because I filmed, I remember falling into my tent one day and just doing a little commentary on tolerance and how, because I was like, somebody was really annoying me. And then, as I was talking about it, I was like, you know what? Actually, I think this says more about what I need to work on 
with myself than what this person needs to work on. Because you're always going to come across people that you don't jive with, but you have to collaborate with them for something in life and how you're able to accept them and then learn from that is huge. And that's how you deal with other situations better. What's the saying? I don't recall the exact saying, but but something to the effect of really when you're pointing fingers at somebody else, there's three fingers pointing back at you. Yeah. Have you heard that? Are you familiar with that? I've heard it now. Yeah. It makes, <laughs> it makes, it totally yeah. makes complete sense. Yeah. Um, after I've kind of shifted my mindset over the past couple of years from this like completely t- negative mind frame that I live my life with for so long and completely having this attitude that I knew everything to recognizing that I actually know very little and that I can learn something from everybody I come in touch with. Once I've kind of shifted that, I've been able to accept you know, other ideas. I've been able to learn from other people and it's a lot lighter feeling to, you know, walk around like that than to carry all this burden of like, you're Mr. Know-it-all. So to get everybody up to speed, Mike and I, we, we've known each other. Yeah, it's been 20 years, I guess. We, we were both uh, met through, who, how do we meet? Nell. Nell. It was Nell. Okay, yeah. In the recruiting realm, he covered technology. I was in finance. We had a mutual friend. We just connected. I mean, as you'll be able to tell if you haven't already, he's just a like kind of a life of the party type of personality. Uh, you know, fun guy, hard driving businessman, done really well. And uh, really just has a, a good way of connecting with people because, as you can tell, he is real and raw. So you've built a business. You talked about emotions and highs and lows. If I can kind of cross that line of highs, if you will, can you talk about addiction? Uh, yeah, I can talk about a lot of addiction. I, early on, had a severe gambling addiction uh, for 20 years. You know, I had no idea. Well, just catch me on a Sunday and you would have known. Not even a Sunday. I mean, it was an everyday thing, but I did as much as possible, like kind of keep it close to myself. I was very um, isolated with it because I would just go home and gamble every single night on sports, on party poker, on everything and anything. And it started at a young age. And my uncle is actually the person who introduced me to gambling of all people. You know, what age? Seven years old. We're doing dice or what are you? uh... No, we would go up to Massachusetts for every Thanksgiving. And, you know, my uncle would be glued to the TV on Thanksgiving Day watching these football games. And he'd be rooting like really hard for certain teams. And I'd hear him yelling or whatever. And, you know, I was like interested. Like, why are you so interested in this game? And, you know, he (laughs) took this paper out of his pocket and he opened up this sheet of paper and it had all these games with like lines and like who the teams were playing and the circles around certain games. And he said, so this is why I'm so interested. I bet on these four teams. And if all four games, I bet $10. And if all four teams win, then I win a hundred dollars. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. He's like, Look, yeah, if you get $10 from your parents, you can do one, too. So I ran over to my parents, and I got $10. I think I asked my mom, and she said no or so. And, I, and then I asked my dad. I said, yeah, we're going to get hoagies, as we used to call them back then. I haven't heard that term in a while. Yeah, yeah. And he gave me 10, 10 bucks, And so, you know, I went, and um, me and my brother. You know, we circled those games and I actually ended up winning. And that was probably the worst thing that happened to me. And I was hooked 
right there. I was hooked then. You know, working for my father all those years in the warehouse, all the guys in the warehouse gambled, so I latched onto that. My little league coach, when I was growing up, he gambled. I latched onto him. They, he would bring me down to the Meadowlands racetrack, and we would go gamble on horses. I mean, I'm 11, 12, 13 years old. So I was gambling like crazy. And then my friends and I started, you know, playing poker games at our houses. You know, I was the first one who had a job because I'm a couple months older than the other people, the other friends of mine in my grade. And so I would have money. I was the first one who opened a bank account. So I would bring my checkbook to card games. They didn't even have like have bank accounts. And I would have my checkbook there. You know, I had the, the macho guy who wanted to like uh, just bet more than everybody else and be the bigger man on campus, even at like 15, 16, 17 years old, whatever it was. Were you ever the book? Yeah. When I went to college, I became a bookie. Uh, I became a complete degenerate. Um, I had long hair, three earrings in my left ear. Oh, yeah. Full hook, line and sinker. Drugs galore. Because in high school, I was a pretty clean kid. You know, I was president of the student council. I was playing three sports. I ran track. I played basketball. I was very active in a lot of things. And I really, I think I was only introduced to pot like my senior year and maybe smoked it a couple times. And then when I went to college, I went to University of Maryland. So coming from Park Ridge, which was 500 people, seven through 12, 89 in the graduating class, to the University of Maryland with 30,000 people with between undergrad and grad, I was just like, you could have everything and anything there. I was exposed to it all. So, you know, I was very, um, you know, I tried all recreational drugs and I started gambling a lot. And then I became a bookie while I was gambling and I was laying off bets and then I was taking bets and people owed me money and I owed them money. And there were people who came and robbed us at gunpoint in the house, chased off one of my roommates. He never returned to school. I mean, it was crazy. It was like crazy and it was asinine. Um, and and there were a lot of drugs involved too. And I started dealing drugs in, in college. And at what point did you give that up? Or did, did you just co stop so, cold turkey? Or did you uh, slowly uh, cut back? Walk me through what happened. So I didn't, I continued to gamble, continued to do drugs out of college. Um, I moved to New York City. You know, I was working for a sports advertising place. So obviously that's pretty conducive to continuing gambling, right? Because there were everybody was sports nuts there. And we were selling advertisement in game day football and basketball programs across the country for colleges. But there's all sports guys, you know? So I gambled and I gambled and I gambled. And I was very, you know, I was pretty successful at my job. I've always been a very good salesman. I made a good amount of money but I lost it all. So, you know, even though I was making more money than all my friends, I had less than all of them because I had this, this issue. And, you know, I continued with the pot and the Coke use Well, I was living in the city and I was partying for a good five years after college. So I can't even imagine you on cocaine because you've probably got more energy than anybody that I know. What was that like? Believe it or not, it had the exact opposite effect on me. Cocaine be, did? Cocaine did, yeah. Yeah, I would become like kind of isolated. I would be, I would get stuck in my head. I would only think about the next bump and the next line I wanted to do. I would leave club with my buddies with table service and beautiful girls sitting there and I would leave and go home so I could gamble. Like cocaine and gambling were tied at the hip for me. Like I just want one high wasn't enough. So I had to get a, be higher than that. So I would do coke when I was gambling. So and and vice versa. Yeah. Who, who, who knew about this? Nobody really. How? I mean, I would lie. Okay. When you're an addict, you lie. 
you cheat, you steal. Now, I didn't steal from anybody except the credit card companies, yeah. right? Yeah. But I lied to everybody. Like, I would tell them, hey, I'm meeting an ex-girlfriend. I got to leave the club. But I wasn't meeting anybody. I was going home to gamble. And I would gamble until the sun came up in the middle of, you know, in the, in the morning. And what impact did that have on your life? Tremendous impact. I mean, the relationships I had, both personally, professionally, and, you know, girlfriend-wise and stuff, I mean, they were they were not whole relationships. I wasn't really present in those relationships. I would let people get close to me to a certain extent, and then when I didn't feel comfortable with it anymore, then I would just stop. But they would think they were really close to me, but they really weren't because I was in considerable amount of pain, agony, frustration, isolation, felt like I couldn't talk to anybody I was just living a miserable existence, uh, but I would get to every day I got to work. I didn't do any drugs during, well, I smoked pot all the time, but I didn't do any Coke or any of that stuff during the week. I could regulate it to the weekends and I always kicked ass at my job. So nobody would really know. What was your uh, epiphany moment? I guess that really decided to wake you up. It started, well, there were, there were kind of two with gambling. It's crazy because it all revolves so, around. So they weren't, it wasn't like a cold turkey on everything. No. This was, the, you had two different moments. Like yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Because I had different quote unquote friends. I had gambling friends who are not your friends. And then I had drug friends who are definitely not your friends. Right. <laughs> so none of these people were really my friends, but they were people I would gamble with and people I would do drugs with. Right. One of them was actually on my way to Thanksgiving to back to Massachusetts, which is ironic. Where it all started. It's ironic. So I was in the car with my brother and I wanted to put on sports radio and he wouldn't let me put it on. And I said, well, what are you talking about? I got to listen to what's going on with the games. I got to do my research. I got to put my bets in and all this stuff. And he's like, no, I'm not gambling anymore. And I don't want to listen to sports radio. You know, I'm started to go to GA and I'm like, what? I'm like, gee, hey, what, you know, Gambler's Anonymous? I'm like, what are you, a loser? You know, what's wrong with you? You know, why would you be going to GA? That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. And we got into this little tiff and this argument, and I finally relented, and I'm like, fine, we'll listen to music, okay? We'll put the music on. So three hours later, we got there, and I was like, wow, that was such a nice drive, you know? It's so soothing just to listen to music and not have to, like, have my brain bouncing all over the place and considerably continuing to think, what am I going to bet on? And is this player injured and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. And the line, should I buy another half point? Should I bet a hundred? Should I bet a thousand? Should I bet 5,000? You know, all this crazy stuff that would go through my head. And it was just a smooth, soothing ride. So what were I just, you listening to? I have no idea, actually. <laughs> uh, but it was like um, none of this debating back and forth about sports and stuff that always ended up in like an argument and me and my ego saying, I know more than you. You don't know what the hell you're talking about type of conversation, which is completely useless. I started thinking to myself, you know what? What is this GA all about? You know, what the hell did they do to my brother? You know, I'm going to go check this out. And I did. And after I checked it out, I haven't gambled since. How many years ago is that? Uh, I celebrate 13 years on June 15th. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank well, you. I'll remember that. My uh, anniversary is the 16th. Oh, wow. For yeah, you wedding, better, my wedding anniversary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you I'll, I'll be thinking of you. Yeah. <laughs> so that that was, uh, you know, the big epiphany. And the gambling problem was the biggest problem. But I definitely had a uh, – I was definitely – had a Coke issue, you know, as well, and a weed issue. Although, you know, when you talk about weed these days, nobody thinks it's an issue. But when you do it every single day for 20 years, it's an issue. So, but the Coke thing, like I kind of had an epiphany when I was out partying with some friends 
And like, I tried to break up a fight and I got cracked in the nose. My nose was broken and it was just like absurdity and bleeding all over the place. And, you know, I had to get, you know, obviously go to the doctor, deal with all this other stuff. And I'm just like, why am I doing this? You know? And now that they're fixing my nose, I'm not putting anything else up it forever. And that was the end of that. Wow. How long ago was that? Six years. Yeah. I'm assuming you have a lot more time on your hands and a lot more focused energy. Where are you putting it? Well, it's when I stopped gambling, I started running because the biggest. That's why you look so svelte. I don't know about that, but you know, these shirts, the way they make them these days, they can make anybody Hook look a good. brother up. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> um, but I would say that the biggest challenge for me in overcoming addiction wasn't stopping the addiction. It was filling the gaping amounts of time you had mm -hmm. that you devoted to that addiction on positive activities and managing your life, you know, because I didn't live a normal life. I didn't know what to do. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Work's over. What am I supposed to do? All right, go to the gym for an hour. All right, I have five at four hours left in the day. What do I do? Right. So, you know, for me, I started training for marathons and raising money for LLS. And I did four marathons in five years. And that, that was amazing. Um, and then I had two back surgeries. So I kind of hung up the marathon running shoes, so to speak. And I got involved with other things like more fundraising and different volunteer work. I do a lot of volunteer work and then just got involved with a lot of entrepreneur groups over the last, you know, four to five years and traveled a tremendous amount since then um, and do a bunch of other things. But uh, but I was also embroiled, um, you know, for the past six years in a lawsuit with my ex-business partner that we just settled. And Congratulations. that- Thank you. That was horrible. Uh, that was just an emotional roller coaster of ego talking for six years and just making decisions from the wrong place. And again, just letting my ego get the best of me, which I did for the majority of my life uh, until the last like three years, really. My ego made all decisions for me. So you're describing all these kind of negative attributes, for lack of a better term, which it kind of puzzles me because, you you know, I've known you for all these years as a positive guy, a fun guy, great relationship guy. I mean, you and I have referred, you know, people to each other throughout the years. Uh, you just put me in touch, back in touch with Scott Gerber, great, great guy. We, he, he was actually on the show. How have you been able to keep all of these relationships that you have throughout the years? You know, what have you done? How do you stay in touch? How do you meet these people? And what are you doing uh, to maintain these relationships? Sure. Well, I think one thing is I caused damage to myself. I damaged myself and I didn't like damage people around me. Um, you hear a lot of horrible addiction stories and stuff or lawsuits and stuff where all these other people are like, that are close to you are effective negatively. Now, of course, my ex-business partner was affected by the lawsuit, you know, but I protected my entire company. Anybody who was at my company, I protected them from the lawsuit. I didn't want them to have to deal with it. Most of them don't even know what was going on, but it was costing me hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, it cost me a million dollars. So I can literally say I made millions and I lost millions because it's completely true. You know, one of the things you said in a way for me to deflect any pain that I was going through is to be the life of the party, 
right? Is to make sure not just me, but everybody's having a good time is to, you know, make fun of myself, make fun of like other things. So people are laughing. Like I always felt that smiling and laughing is the cure to everything. And that's not true. It's not the cure to addiction. It's not the cure to lawsuits, but it's the cure to a bad day. I'll tell you that. It's a cure to like what you perceive as a bad day because the majority of us all have high society problems. Okay. We live in our own world. We think a deal goes by bad, the world's going to end. We think like a legal thing you're dealing with, the world's going to end. Oh my God, the life is over. Yeah, you go to Africa, okay? And you tell me, somebody who's begging for my sandals, and I give them my sandals and they hug me, you tell me who has problems, hmm. who has challenges in life. It's not us, right? We are very, very fortunate here. Going back to your question, I really think, and it took me a long time to learn this, but it's really about helping others, right? What can I do to impact somebody else? And when you impact them, first of all, it's self-fulfilling and it brings me this joy inside that I don't get from closing a deal. And I like closing deals. I get a little like high from that, right? But it's nothing like, you know, going and helping a leukemia patient or going and feeding the homeless or helping underprivileged kids or doing any of that stuff, right? And even outside of my network, even in business, connecting a business person who's going through a problem with somebody that has a solution for that problem and connecting them and letting magic happen there. That's what I believe in because I feel like if you pay it forward, it will always pay you back. You don't know when, you don't know how, but it'll always pay you back. Going and living that way, it's not always easy. Like I know people I've done favors for that like even as good as I try to have these feelings in me, I still in the back of my head, I'm like, I wonder when that person's going to acknowledge. I got them that job. The company just went public. I did that for free. I didn't get anything out of it. I didn't get a deal out of it because the company wouldn't work with agencies. But I knew it was the right job for you. So I referred you as a friend, as a favor. And you've never even acknowledged it. But you know what? I got to wash that aside. That's human nature, right? It's human nature to have certain thoughts like that. But I wash it aside because I know eventually it'll come back in a positive way. Apologies for interrupting this conversation, especially if you're really enjoying it. I know that I get frustrated when I'm listening to a good podcast, so I'll make it quick. If you're enjoying our podcast, please support us on patreon.com slash networkwise. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash networkwise. All patrons will receive early access to podcasts and exclusive networking advice. Okay, that was painless. So all you have to do now is help us on Patreon and enjoy the remainder of the show. Tell me about some of the communities that you're involved in, because I know that you've got uh, a lot of them, (laughs) whether it's through work, whether it's through some of the uh, activities that you're involved in. Uh, Tell me about them as well as some of the people that you've met, some of the really interesting people that stand out to you. Sure. I'm a part of... YEC. We'll start with YEC because, you know, you mentioned Scott Gerber. Um, So he's the uh, um, one of the founders of YEC, him along with Ryan Pa. They wrote the book Super Connector and they started an organization for entrepreneurs across the country. It's called YEC Young Entrepreneurial Council. And I became a member of that 
five years ago, I think. I'm one of the longer standing members. And it's invite only, right? This isn't something yeah. that you can just belong to. You need to be invited to YEC. Yeah, it's invite only. It's invite only. And then you go through a vetting process. I think you need to be uh, doing a million in revenue or more, something like that. But now they might also accept others that do less than that into a different group. But anyway, I actually met them because my company was, uh, we made the Inc. 5000 list several years uh, in a row. And I was attending the ceremony for that. And the Inc. 5000 is the the fastest 5000 private companies year over year growth for um, the previous five years. I was down in the DC area and because I wasn't a part of any of these communities. I didn't even know about them at that point. Like I didn't research them. I wasn't real tech savvy, even though I was running a tech staffing firm, you know, <laughs> go figure. I was down there getting the award. I went to a bar after the award to meet a friend because I went down to school in Maryland and we were having a drink and there were these three, four guys next to me and they were getting kind of loud and obnoxious and they were drinking. And I made some wise ass comment that I usually make about one of them who was ordering like a kamikaze while he was ordering whiskey for the others and he was making fun of them for not doing their shot. That happened to be Scott Gerber. (laughs) so these guys started laughing hysterical like because i was going at the gerber and i didn't know who any of them were and that's how we met and then they told me about the event uh, wild yc they were having a networking event that evening they invited me to it i went i thought it was really cool and then they said we'd love to have you as part of a you know as a member and that's how i joined i didn't go through like online and like how most people do mm-hmm. uh, i it was just happenstance and so i built a relationship with them cuz we're talking about relationships and again i like making people laugh so you know we connected there invited me to the event and then i became a member i wasn't really active in there for the first couple of years because I was still very negative about this lawsuit. I was letting it get the best of me. I was trying to expand into New York. At this point, I had an office in Utah, an office in India, and an office in New York. So I was trying to run all three. It was way too much. I had credit lines I was dipping into pretty deeply. I was I had a massive amount of employees that were reporting to me directly. When I say massive amount, for me it was, but it was like – 10 direct reports, I couldn't like deal with it. And um, I was in a negative space. But I started getting involved in the YEC more. And over the past like three, four years, I've built just some tremendous relationships. Like some of the closest friends in my life are in YEC because we understand each other at a different level. Because whatever you can say about entrepreneurship, like it's very hard for somebody who's not in entrepreneurship to understand what we go through and what we have in our head, like bouncing around, like you can't shut it off. There's things you can do. There's practices you can do to quiet it down, but you can't shut it off when you're in charge of payroll, when you're in charge of legal, when you're in charge of accounting. Oh, you're you're giving me a headache, man. You're reviews. I mean, you know, it's just like, ah. So there's a couple other organizations. Yeah, I want to hear about it. But go ahead. No, no, I want want to hear about it. Before we switch to some of the other ones, what are some of the common threads amongst the, uh, outside of just being entrepreneurs that you're finding within this community? What are shared practices, I guess, um, whether it's, you know, helping to try to refer business, helping to try to refer personal stuff as well? What are things that you guys do? 
Well, for me, you know, I'm really into personal development now because I've completely changed my life over the past three years uh, from where I was. So I focus on personal relationships. Um, I never looked at that organization as a place to gain business. I just didn't approach it like that. But others do. It is a great source. If you have a business problem, it's a great resource because we have a fa private Facebook group. You throw up what situation you're dealing with. Most likely somebody in the organization has dealt with it before. They can talk to you about their personal experience and everything. That goes the same with the personal development side of things. Like how do you handle a legal matter when you're dealing with all these other things? Are there any practices that you could suggest to me that could help me deal with this a little bit better, more evenly keeled? Do you incorporate meditation into your life? What else are you doing to better yourself for your employees to be a better leader? You have to be in a positive mindset to lead and you have to be able to communicate effectively. Those are really some attributes and traits that, that we share in the group. And it's a supportive environment because, again, we're all running businesses trying to leave our print on the world. Nice. Let's start talking about some of the other communities that you're involved with. Sure. Um, one that's near and dear to my heart is uh, our activation community. You can find it. It's it's the letter I, the letter M, and activated. So IamActivated.com. That's our website. And you can find hashtag IamActivated on Facebook. And so we started that with the, some guys I met in YC. So Parveen Panwar, very good friend of mine, myself, Joey Kircher, a couple other guys, you know, we started activation. We started it for to have a positive mindset and ins for inspiration for others, not just entrepreneurs, but all people. And there's basically five pillars that we stand by, and it stands for paper, P-A-P-E-R. And it's have a positive mindset with anything that you're doing. All of these we try to incorporate into our life all the time. Be authentic no matter who you're around. There's going to be plenty of people who don't like you, but who cares about them? There'll be plenty of people who do like you. Be passionate and hustle every day, regardless of what you're doing. Be empathetic to others and pay it forward as I believe it'll always pay you back and be resilient. You're going to get knocked down in life. Shit happens to all of us. It's not about how many times you get knocked down. It's about how many times you get back up and you're in charge of paving your own path. The government can't stop you. Your mother-in-law can't stop you. You know, your father-in-law, whatever, all the people who say you can't do it. No, you're in charge of that, not them. So it's about having those five core pillars that stand for paper. So it's easy to remember and incorporating them in your life uh, at all times. And so that's very important. That group is very important to me. You see, I wear my uh, uh, I am activated yeah, wristband yeah. and I got an I am activated shirt for you. That right. I'll give you right all after right, right nice. after. We're actually having a an event in Cabo. San Lucas. And we have 60 entrepreneurs coming uh, August 3rd through 6th. And it's uh, Activated Escape. It's like the second event that we're putting on. And we're going to have a lot of amazing things going on there, like lightning talks and, you know, some health and fitness and some blockchain stuff and personal growth, you know, a lot of different things. How long, is this, how long has this group been around for? Well, so we started as a joke. It started off as a joke. All right. And, you know, Parveen and I, we were driving up to an event for YEC and he like turns to me, he's like, I'm going to activate everybody at this event this weekend. I'm like, you're going to what? 
He's like, I'm going to activate everybody. I'm like, well, what does that mean? (laughs) He's like, I'm just going to make sure everybody's having the best time ever at the highest energy level possible, whatever business stuff and personal stuff they're dealing with that they just put it to the side until the weekend's over. And uh, I was like, yeah, I like that. I'm going to activate more people than you. And so it started literally as a joke and we were going all around the YEC event, activating people and everybody was just like really resonating to it. And so afterwards, a couple of people contacted us and wanted to make I am activated shirts and send them to everybody who was kind of into it and then surprise Parveen. So they did that. Then all these shirts kind of went viral people were putting videos on facebook about it and we got contacted by a hundred on other entrepreneurs about getting involved with i am activated so we made all these shirts for everybody sent them all out asked them to do videos and it just kind of took off and how long ago was this a year and a half and and how many members are there now i mean on facebook we have like fifteen thousand people following us you're kidding me it's fantastic yeah so great. So you got an event coming up. That sounds like it's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another community that you're a part of. Yeah. Parveen's been taking the head on that and yeah, I'm heavily involved though. Um, you know, I try to activate as many people as I can in Utah. You're competing with the church out there though. (laughs) No, no, we're not, we're not a sect. Okay. Okay. (laughs) We're not dipping anybody in salt water. Okay. Let's put it that way. So where are the majority of the members? Are they entrepreneurs or could it be anybody? What's the criteria to being activated? There's no criteria. It's about just being a positive person, right? Having a positive impact on other people. And again, following those five principles uh, of being, of paper and just make everybody you come in contact with, you know, leaving a positive imprint on them, being inspirational and doing what you can to further that. Look, there's so much negativity in this country. Okay. And even in the world, but this country, the political craziness going on here, like people can't stop talking about it. I don't talk about it. Because guess what? I can't do anything about it. I'm sorry to say, but our democracy is not really a democracy. Like, we can't do anything about it. And people will say that's a defeatist attitude and all this other stuff. But I'll tell you what, I can have way more impact cooking like I did with my staff for 300 uh, homeless women who are in the homeless shelter and going and feeding them than I can about sitting here having a debate on Facebook about a Trump policy. Obama policy, whatever it is. Like my impact is a lot more in the community than it can be on that type of level. So that's what I choose to do. Really, that's what activation is a very positive thing. It's about being positive and passionate and empathetic and resilient and paying it forward. You know, for me, it's about paying it forward because I get some sort of sense of like fulfillment that I can't fill doing anything else. It doesn't fill me up there. So it's a great thing. And then there's one other big group. Well, there's a couple, but one other big one that I'm a part of that's had a major effect on my life. And it's called Unconventional Life. Yes, you're telling me about this. Get everybody up to speed on their situation and how this happened and some of the people that are a part of this. So Unconventional Life is a group of individuals who are looking to live life on their terms. And it was started by Jules Schroeder, and she's got like the number one podcast amongst millennials in the country, and she's from Denver, and uh, she has these events, and she had an event in Bali. So in my YEC, it's funny how all this stuff stems from the initial YEC group. 
right? And somebody put a posting up in the YEC, in the YEC Facebook group and said, if anybody's interested in going to Bali, you know, I know this woman who's throwing this event called Unconventional Life. And I didn't read any further. I saw Bali. <laughs> I love the transparency. <laughs> I really didn't know what the hell it was. Yeah. And I didn't care because I always wanted to go to Bali. Just like I always had this thing about climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, right? So I always wanted to go to Bali. I saw it and I'm just like, I'm going. And they're like, no, 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 you need to be screened. And I'm like, screened? My ego. <laughs> Who's screening me? What are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> I got on the phone with her. You know, I was doing my fundraising for LLS at that time. We hit it off. She loved my energy. She loved what I was up to. So she invited me to come. I went to Bali and that changed my life. How so? Right before I went there, I was in a very negative space because of the lawsuit. It was a bitter, bitter lawsuit between myself and my ex-business partner, which started from after I bought the company from her. I believe she violated the agreement and off to the lawyers we were for six years. And I was just angry. I was not a happy person. I carried this kind of negativity on my shoulders. When I would walk past somebody on the street and they would look at me, my first thought would be, what the F are you looking at? Not, hey, how you doing? Have a nice day. No, it would be like, what the F are you looking at? Like, I would think in my head that they're like, it was this feeling of negativity that I always carried around. I was very condescending. I was very argumentative. I was very ego driven. It was not a great way to live life. It was heavy. So, so what is going way. there do? Yeah. Hey, when you have ADD, <laughs> things like this happen. So they had some sessions there somewhere on like building a business plan. And as I was going and sitting through this, I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? I've had a business for six years. I don't need, I know how to build a business plan. Right. And then like on relationships, I'm like, again, I'm not in a relationship. I don't listen to this nonsense. And then there was these two people up there and they started talking about flow. And I had never heard of flow. Or if I did, I wouldn't listen to it because I knew better flow. That's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Astrology. That's nonsense. You're going to read my palm. That's the dumbest thing I ever had. You stop scamming me. This is how I thought about all energy. Give me a break is the energy. Yeah, now you're going to tell me about my sign, right? You know, <laughs> I just thought it was all nonsense because that's how I was kind of grew up. It's just I wasn't exposed to it. And it was like that stuff was for cuckoos, right? So these two people were talking about flow and the whole study of flow, which is following your highest intuition and living an effortless life. And they were giving examples of how their lives completely transformed. One of them was in finance, like working at a hedge fund, making a ton of money. The other one was like, her dream was to build, was to run a, a get funding for a house for mentally disabled. So they were doing these things. And she had just gotten funding for uh, like this unit, I don't know, five, 10 million for in Florida, which was her dream. Like something didn't feel right about it to her. So she turned it down. And after she worked 15 years to get here or 10 years, whatever it was, and then she transformed, she started studying this flow and he did kind of, he was miserable at his job. They were both not happy with what they were doing, even though in their minds, they 
convince themselves, this is what I'm going to do with my life. This is my goal. I'm not going to change because that's my goal. But then it, it, it was kind of like me. I wanted to build this company that had multiple offices around the country and then get bought out by this bigger company. And then I used to tell myself, and then I'm going to have $20 million and I'm going to buy a yacht. And by 50, I'm going to sail around the world on a yacht. The thought of that and the continuing repeating of that is so ridiculous. But I... That's what I did. So as they were talking about this, then they were talking about, you know, how they worked with this couple who was in a lawsuit and they were able to talk through it with them. And the lawsuit was settled in 30 days and just all these different things that I was sitting there and I thought, this is absurd, right? These examples are bullshit. This is absurd. I turned to the person next to me and I said, yeah, you know, what? like they would give examples of these things happening in their life. And I'd be like, you know what? We call that coincidence back east. Okay. And we say, when you work hard, good shit happens to you. That's what happened to them. That's it. But something happened in that group. There were 30 people. I knew one of them. I raised my hand and I just dumped all my stuff. I don't know what it was. It was like some energy, which I didn't believe in. Like took over my body, raised my hand. I told them about my gambling problem and the pain I was still dealing with that. I talked about my lawsuit and how in agony I was and how I was miserable. I wasn't happy. I would go home, smoke pot and watch two hours of reality TV every night after work. I was getting out of shape. I was just a miserable F, right? I just was not happy. And they said, hey, let's talk afterwards. And we did. Were you too much for them? <laughs> I wasn't too much for them. I really wanted to start. I you opened up Pandora's box. I kind of went there like knowing I needed something to change in my life. Like suicidal thoughts were trickling in and out of my head. And I was just like, what am I doing all this for? Why do I, why am I living this way? And a lot of people are in that situation. You know, from the outside, it might look like everything's going great, but internally you're destroyed and you're beaten down and you're exhausted. You're like, what am I living for? And that's really how I felt. I sat down with them, talked to, with them. They told me, oh, you know, if you listen to us, your lawsuit will be solved. This can happen. That can happen. I thought, again, I thought it was all bullshit. But then on my flight back from Bali to Utah, I continually had this thing going on in my head, like, would it be so bad to live a different way? And I kept like saying that to myself and I said, and then I started like accepting it. And then I started like, oh my God, that sounds so good. Yes, I wanna live a different way. And I decided to enroll in their course. And previously I never would have done that because I'm like, what, $700 for that? That's a ripoff. But I did it. And I, I took their 10 week course and it goes through a bunch of practices. Some are weird. Like I admit they're weird, but it goes through a process where you're clearing out your limiting beliefs and then you're putting in positive beliefs and you're working through those and any trauma that you've had around those. And it really started changing my life when I started making decisions from my heart and not with my head. What are some of the biggest impacts that, that has come as a result of this? So I had like rental properties that were beating me down. I had this lawsuit that I was trying to figure out how do I get out of. And I was trying to come up with solution after solution after solution, thinking through all of them. None of them were working and it was causing more frustration for me. So, you know, I started kind of manifesting things and I did that by just speaking about them to other people. And eventually you run into somebody who's dealt with that and then they kind of tell you about, hey, have you ever tried this or you ever tried that? That started happening. 
right? It started happening with, like, I was able to kind of get rid of the, like sell my houses. I was able to, in a market, like I had renters in there. I just didn't think it would be possible. People were telling me, no, no, no. I was able to kind of manifest that and do all that. Here's an example. Like I would go to South by Southwest, right? Every year, which I love down in- I've never been in Austin. I heard that's a lot of fun. It's great. It's great. A lot of people. Yeah. It's a combination of technology, music, and film. Right. So I go for the tech piece, but I was, I'm one of these travelers that wherever I go somewhere, I would have to plan out like months in advance. Like what hotel am I staying at? Okay. I need a rental car. I need this. I need that. Like I had to have it. I'm like freaking out. Right. Oh my God, what am I going to do? And going through this course, they preach that don't worry about it. It'll manifest itself. Right. Just you talk to people about what you're doing and there something will be will come across your desk that you'll be able to, you know, do because they had all, they were giving all these travel examples of them getting invited places for free and stuff. And I thought it was all BS, right? So, you know, it was coming up on a couple of days before and I decided, let me call my friend and see if he knows any Airbnbs I can stay at down there because there's two days before the event. I had a plane ticket, but that's it. So I called him and he says to me, oh my God, this is amazing timing. We just decided that we're going to take the kids and we're going to go to Hawaii and get out of here for the festival. You can stay in my 3,500 square foot house for free. Oh, and you can also use my brand new Mercedes truck. And I'll do you one better. You can have the parking pass to my parking spot, which is right on Main Street in the building where all the events happen from. And I'm just like, what? I'm like, huh? He's like, yeah, no problem. All you need to do is feed my hamster. Oh, man, I wouldn't take that trade. He couldn't pay me enough. I'm like, you got a hamster, dude? I'm like, how old are you? He's like, it's my kids, all right? <laughs> Just a little example like that. And the trip was effortless. It was, I had the best setup ever. How far, how far is Austin from Utah? Is that a quick flight? That can't be that. Uh, three hours yeah, or something. Yeah, that something bad. like that. Because hotels down there were book solid for months and they're $500 a night, you know, to get even close to the place. Yeah. So that was like this example, this moment of like, wait, what? And there were a lot of other things that happened to me. You know, the example of the houses, it's, it's hard to really understand that unless I go into like very, very big details, which I'm not going to do. Um, but that, this example of the, uh, South by Southwest is kind of a, a good example of what living in, in flow is all about. And then, you know, and every decision that I've made in terms of since then, not every, but almost a lot of decisions I've made since then, I've just felt like, right. They felt right. And I followed them like going to Hermosa beach for a month last October and just getting away and staying there for a month. Cause after I came back from Bali, I knew I needed to be close to the ocean. There's just something about the waves crashing into the sand, being able to meditate out there. That's calming, peaceful and relaxing and allows me to reset my mind. So you've met some amazing people along this journey. Who is the most impressive person that you have met outside of, you know, your family or something, but, but along this journey, I should say, that would take your phone call right now and what makes them so impressive? Yeah, it's a hard question to answer um, because I could pull some name that maybe everybody would know. But that's not that. No, this is is, I've purposely kept it open ended because I've asked this question from a bunch of people. I try to ask it in in a variety of ways. 
But, uh, I mean, it's really just that. And impressive could be anything. Impressive could be, you know, because they were given nothing and they've became rich. That's one way of becoming impressive. Another one is they were born rich and they gave it all up to be live on the street and, you know, help the homeless. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's whatever what you what, what's impressive to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I totally appreciate that. You know, there's like three things that are going on in my head right now. But I would say if you got three. Let's go with three. That's a, you, know, you want to go with three. Okay. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. The first one is Allie. Okay. She's seven years old. She has leukemia. I met her two years ago when I was raising money for Leukemia Lymphoma Society. She had leukemia at the time, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, and she went into remission. So it was great. At five? At five. Okay. She was in remission for about seven months, and it came back. She's in the hospital now. Um, she was in there a month straight having you know chemo treatments. And I visited her multiple times. Leukemia, um, that's blood cancer, right? That's yeah. like the worst blood type related of cancer, cancer that you can I'm I don't think there's a worse type of cancer. I don't I don't think it's the worst. I mean it's it's not good. Yeah. Um usually you know, they can treat it better in young children, but that's not always the case. And a lot of times it's not the case. They've come a long way though. So I visited her multiple times, you know, the highlight of my week, the highlight of my day, the highlight of my month is going there and putting a smile on her face. And she's the bravest little girl as if like, I would think she doesn't know what's going on because she can't be this happy. She lost all her hair for the second time. So we just found out that she's not after a month of treatment. They just tested her. She's not in remission and she needs a bone marrow transplant. And that's a very painful uh, transplant to go through. So she's had a major impact on my life to put things in perspective, yeah. to ground me even further because I have a long way to go and to really let me realize and recognize no matter what stress I'm going through that I perceive as stress, anxiety, whatever. I mean, it's nothing. This girl's seven years old. You know, she's seven. She should not have to grow up this way in a hospital. And she is. I just saw actually a Facebook post before I came in here. And that's why she's been on my mind. She's been on my mind since I met her. And I do whatever I can. Just, again, put a smile on her face and support her. So that's my first answer because that puts everything into perspective. Yeah. There's a, cu a couple other people who, who've had a big effect. I mean, a very good friend of mine, Michael Fazio, uh, who I've known since five years old. Fazio. <laughs> <laughs> he actually... He's always been an extremely giving person. You know, he lost his brother to addiction. Mm. Um, so there's a commonality there. We started in the staffing business together. He's actually acquiring my company. So it's coming full circle. But he actually did something very selfless. And he helped settle my lawsuit without asking my permission, without doing anything, uh, without me asking him That's to do anything. the guy he is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I had gotten off a call with my lawyers and my ex-business partner was like threatening to sue my father and stuff and start bringing my family into it. And it was already a complete mess. And I was just like exhausted by this. And I just called them up and I'm just like, man, this is crazy. You know, this threat, you know, this is what my lawyer is telling me. And so I don't know if she was threatening. There's my, let me clarify. My lawyer told me it was being threatened. Okay. I don't want any other legal problems. Okay. Um, <laughs> And no, you don't have to cut this out. It's fine. Um, uh, but he actually said he was flipping through his cell phone and he still had her number because he knew her from years ago. 
And he called her up and he started being like, look, he wants to settle this thing. Why can't you get this gone on long enough between the two of you? You know, why you don't you want this over with? And he actually negotiated a settlement that our lawyers couldn't do that. My finance guy who I asked to do couldn't do that. I know I would probably have challenges doing directly with her just based on our relationship and the way we would speak to each other. And he negotiated a settlement. So it was a completely selfless act. And he's done a lot of selfless acts as well for other friends who've been in addiction to help get to get them help. And I do a lot of work in addiction as well through the series Fate that I do, which is um, an interview you know, let, series. Let's talk about Fate before we wrap up. Because I don't okay. want to. Yeah. Tell me. Tell me about Fate, how you got involved and the mission. Sure. So being a former addict and then an entrepreneur and writing my book called Chasing the High, which ties in addiction, entrepreneurship and other things, you know, I wanted to focus on and start interviewing former addicts who are now entrepreneurs to be an example and show how brilliant addicts are. Because it is true that addicts have some of the most creative minds in the world because We've spent so much time trying to get high, you know, trying to find that fix, scrapping, clawing, doing whatever we needed to, to kind of, you know, get money or get this or get that or leverage relationships or do whatever. Now, if you can put that into a productive focus, amazing things can be created. So I started in, I interviewed Joe Polish of the Genius Network. I interviewed Mike Lindell of MyPillow.com. The guy sold 32 million pillows. He was a crack addict. So, you know, and I've interviewed tons of other amazing people in gangs and and all this other stuff. And now they've created multi-million dollar companies and they're leaving a positive impact on the world. And so I write the, I do these interviews. I write the articles up. They're published in Thrive Global, which is Ariana Huffington's publication. And um, I have a Facebook group called F period, A period, T period, E period. And it's a support group for anyone dealing with addiction. You know, feel free to join if anybody here has an addict in their family, is an addict, wants some support. We're a community to help each other. And I feel like, uh, you know, I really want to put a focus on that because addiction in this country is just out of control in all sorts of different ways. And the government's not going to do anything about it. Like we as public servants need to, in the public sector, we're the ones who can affect change and we're the ones who can have an impact. Are, are you familiar with ayahuasca? I know what it is. Yeah. I've I mean, never are you familiar it. with that with addiction? I was actually listening to Aubrey Marcus's po- podcast. Have you ever heard that before? His podcast? I've heard Aubrey, who more Aubrey Marcus, Aubrey Marcus is, is, but I, I think haven't he's based heard in, in Austin, actually. But okay. uh, so he's got a really interesting podcast. I'm going to try to look it up for you while we're on here, but I, I would encourage they've had some tremendous results with people that suffer from addiction through these ayahuasca journeys. Ayahuasca yeah. is, is like it's a plant. That most people, I think Peru is kind of like the main place that people go to. They go yep. to these shaman services. And essentially, it's an extremely reflective experience. I don't know how long it is, but he's a very well-known guy in this space. Doctor, it's going to drive me crazy. I'll, I'll get it for show notes also, but it might be of interest to you and the people in your, in your uh, in that community of yours. Yeah, I'm familiar with ayahuasca, with the journey of it, with the purging of all your, uh, you know, negative emotions and bad history within addiction and things of that nature. Everybody's got a different opinion on these things. And um, Dr. Gabor Mate. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. 
Okay, cool. Sorry to cut you off. No, no, no. It's fine. I need to be cut off. Um, (laughs) You know, in the fake group, there's what I'm going to be doing is building different services that help with addiction because what works for one person isn't necessarily the solution for another. Everybody is different, right? If you told me when I was in my addiction to go to GA or to do this or to do that, any addict's immediate reaction is resistance. It's not until they decide- No flow. No, no, no. It's not until they decide they want help that they're going to get it. So we want to build services in this group of a lot of different avenues. So, you know, treatment facility and there's a lot of apps out there. I just interviewed this amazing woman, Daniela. Now it's going to get that in the show notes later. Yeah, we can get that in the show notes. And she developed an app that any addicts can communicate through. And it, it helps them throughout the day, like track idea. their activities and great stuff. Idea. And there's a lot of these things out there. We want to build these services in so that people have an outlet to go to. So if people want to get in touch with you, how would you recommend or encourage them to do so? I hope that's okay that I'm asking this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they can reach out to me on my my email, which is michael.parallelhr.com. That's P-A-R-A-L-L-E-L-H-R.com. My website is Michael G dash and that's spelled D-A-S-H on there um, they could uh, pre-order my book or they could just be on a, a list as to be alerted to when the book is out. And I talk about on the website a lot of different like emotional decision-making and the negative effects it's had on me, financial decision-making and the effects it's had on me, activation, addiction, and several of the other things that we've touched on in this interview. So yeah, I would encourage them to go to there, shoot me an email, and, uh, and they can always find me on any of the social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, any, right. any of that stuff. And, and I'll put all this stuff again in the show notes will be an infographic credits for anyone that wants to reach out to you directly from there i really appreciate the time he flew all the way in from salt lake city just to do this man you are a mensch (laughs) Uh, where do i get the refund for my ticket (laughs) uh go fund me (laughs) yeah thanks again for coming on the show michael you make it a great day thanks so much (laughs) cheers i'm really glad you made it through the whole show It tells me that you found it entertaining and enjoyed the content. In the spirit of helping us continue to provide such great content and amazing guests, we appreciate your participation through Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash networkwise. Your support really helps. Also, if you or someone you know is looking for a career change, is building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com. Not only does this platform offer you a plethora of resources, but will walk you through how to expedite the outcomes and the aforementioned goals that you seek. Thanks again for listening. Make it a great day. And remember to always networkwise.